Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. One of the many seminal changes in the world of farming and grazing over the past 20 years or so has been the emasculation of state ag departments and the almost complete disappearance of services offered to those on the land by those ag departments. The people who did all this work had various titles and one of the more common was that of an extension officer. Now there are very few remaining under that title of extension officer and one of the last is close to pulling the pin. Please welcome on the grill Beef Extension Officer for Queensland Ag, Bernie English. Bernie, you are on the grill. Thanks, Terry. Bernie, an extension officer, what does that mean in terms of the full title, Beef Extension Officer? Well, it's a fairly important role, uh, Terry, where you make it your business to be up to date with all the latest research and then be passing those results on to other producers because there's a terrible lot of technology that has been developed over the years and hasn't been adopted that well by industry. Um, just for an example, the phosphorus feeding business in northern Australia where phosphorus deficiency is a big issue and, and we've still got a lot of producers not doing it well during the wet season. Bernie, you, grew, um, you so, grew up on the land. In fact, you your family were big in the dairy game in far north Queensland? True. true. At Melanda where I live here, there, the English has turned up here with the first white men, there was a lot of mining activity in North Queensland in the 1860s, 70s, 80s. The Melinda district never got settled till the 19, 90, early 1900s, and our family came in here in 1907 uh, with some other families like the Emersons and the Davies, etc., and started dairying industry. The English has actually bought dairy cows up from the northern rivers to, to Brisbane. Down, they drove them down Queen Street and put them on a boat, and then they buddy sailed up the cans and took them off there and drove them up to the table end. Yeah. And the uh, Emersons and there's a few others in that study, um, those study uh, yeah. producers, that early settlers that bought the cows up here. Yeah. Now, I think they were a lot of short ones. Bernie, one change yeah. you've seen, I know, the, the, the demise of the dairy industry in far north Queensland. It is it is a tragedy, actually, because we've got the local company, Bega, trucking milk in from south now to uh, yeah. make sure that North Queensland has milk and it is it's tragic what's happened with the deregulation, the dairy industry and just here we've gone from just under 400 dairy farmers to under 40. So when you were a young fella, you did not want a dairy life seven days a week, 365 days a year. You wanted, no. something, you wanted something else and so you enrolled at Gatton College, I understand, first. True, true. Right. But I grew up in the dairy farm and, and we had the DPI doing trials on our farm at the time with fertiliser and new pasture species. And then done high school at, at high, I done agriculture at high school and off to Gatton. And then I ended up back at South Johnson Research Station there, um, Kerry, where there was continuing um, research into new pastures on the coast, um, what was required with fertiliser and management and like most of our introduced grasses and legumes from into Australia, all the grasses basically come from Africa and all the legumes from Central Southern America. Um, not completely, but that's really where a lot of our pasture species we've got in the endowed area of coastal Queensland and down into southern Queensland. That's where all the grasses and legumes came from in the six, late 50s and 60s. Um, and it was a very active time for 
government agencies, you know, with trialling those grasses, how did you manage them, what fertiliser did they require, and that's what I was doing at South Johnson with that sort of work. So as a beef extension officer, let's get to the changes you've seen and start with your job. Has the main subject matter changed over the years? There, there has been fantastic buddy change, I think, for the better over the years, you know, with the information technology, etc., etc. But the first, the first big thing was was the um, with change was the computers in our in our business. You know, like when computers come along, it really changed the way we done business. And then the bigger change was when the mobile phone uh, got become a reliable communication buddy gadget. And now it's just about everything, and it's your notebook, it's your it's your camera, it's your con- and and everyone wants to know something now, Kerry. And it, and it has made our beef, you know, extension officers' job a lot easier because we can deal with a lot of the business of the day during the day, and not spend half the night on the phone when you get home at night. So that's one advantage of the um, of the yeah. mobile phones. What are, well, and and the internet, of course, that would be in a, yep. a seminal moments here. But what about yeah, yeah. what about uh, the recipients? What about the beef producers' appetite for knowledge? Is it more or yeah, less well, than in the been, past? I've noticed. I've noticed. I've been around. I've been working here in the, in this job, sort of in since nineteen seventy one, and I should have said that the um, a beef extension officer learns a lot of his tricks from the producers themselves. You know, there's a lot of good producers out there. And if you've got eyes and ears, you'll soon, buddy, learn a lot of lessons off the good producers. Kerry, you'll learn a lot of, buddy, what, what, a lot of things that you shouldn't do on the land as well from bad producers too. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot oh, look, of lessons to be learned out there for sure. Oh, I think it was quite common, wasn't it? Producers used to always check what the neighbours were doing. Is, yeah. is that still an influence? It is, and we use that sort of as, as neighbour days for sure. But we've got a lot of younger producers coming through now. When I say young, you know, they're 30 to 45, et cetera. And they seem to be adopting technology a lot better. Um, and certainly there's a bit more money in the industry until this last six months, of course. Things have gone to the, um, fairly – the prices have really come down um, severely just in the last six months. But up, up until then, 2016 onwards, we've seen a real positive – gain in the cattle price as against the cost price squeeze which yeah. is in all my time that that was always the biggest issue with the beef industry is that prices never seem to keep ahead of the cost the cost and that's always a bloody issue is the cost going up but the younger producers you know they, they've, they've adopted technology like water trough monitors and drones to kill bloody weeds you know like i see out of Chiligo the other day we're on a property there and there's a couple of drones um, dropping um, herbicide on buddy um, tiny apple it was up and down this thousands of acres here doing a job very quickly and efficiently and I thought holy moly how things have changed in the in the previous days there'd be a couple of ringers there sweating all day in the long grass yeah trudging yeah. around for buddy the tiny apple bloody controlling it yeah what about the internet Bernie uh, for the beef extension officer does it, it actually or can it create more than solve issues and questions for you? No, I, I think like a lot of producers, the younger producers growing up, do use the internet for information. And if we've got um, officers that are putting a lot of the latest, you know, supplements, uh, production feeding, or all sorts of stuff can go on there. And a lot of the young producers will go on to say the Future Beef website and look for 
whatever particular, you know, what should I be vaccinating cattle for? What should I be vaccinating wieners for? What should I be feeding little wieners on? All that. But the older producers that are my age, Terry, they, they don't, they don't do that. They ring up the beef extension officer, which are shrinking in numbers. Yeah. And, and that's another another thing happened there, Kerry, is that we were 100% male population there when I started. Now, I, I suspect we're below 50% now with a lot of good young girls in our role. How about online Zoom meetings? Uh, I know that you're on them quite often. Uh, are they now commonplace? They are, and I think they're, like, they've saved us a lot of time, like, and they really haven't taken off until the virus hit us. The, the COVID virus really got Zoom and you know, um, technology going, and we used to all congregate in, in, in somewhere or Brisbane or wherever and get together and map out what we're going to do with the project or what we're gonna, how progress is going or what you're doing, what I'm doing. And now that often happens with Zoom, so it's cost-effective. Um, it leaves you more time to actually do your core business, etc., etc. And I think it's a valuable bit of technology that it probably improved. But you just you just got to be careful. You're not in your pajamas or anything, Kerry. You know, you got to bloody make sure that you look a bit presentable um, <laughs> when 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 you're on a Zoom meeting. Uh, Bernie, yeah. what what about the? Is there still a significant role for my old favourite, the field days, or where personnel and uh, where there's a lot of personal and group contact? Do they still attract an audience? A good field day. Yeah, well, well, I, I, we reckon that field days are a great way to expose a lot of producers to to some new technology, and and MLA travel around the country having beef up forums, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they expose a lot of producers to a lot of new, you know, industry information and technology, and experts from around the country, and they're good to get you know that information out there. For producers to adopt change and implement it on their property, that's where you need the local beef extension officer. He understands that technology, etc. And to get change happening, you've got to have a local content. The circus leaves town, off it goes to another district to give a field day. The local beefo, he's got to be there and someone ring him up and say, oh, well, I listened to that talk by such and such and we should be doing this, that and the other. And can you come out and, and sort of have a yarn to us about how we should be doing it, you know? And that, that is where you get a lot better adoption and change on beef properties when you have a local beef advisory service like government service that will help producers adopt new technology or change the way they're marketing their cattle or et cetera, et cetera. So I think we play a vital role in the beef industry um, because, as we just said, the cost price squeeze never stops. And unless you improve your productivity all the time, you're going to be left behind. You're on the grill for Beef Central. Our guest today, Bernie English, a retiring beef extension officer from far north Queensland. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinoguard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinoguard. Available from your local vet today. 
For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. You're back on the grill for Beef Central. Our guest today, retiring beef extension officer from far north Queensland, Bernie English. Yes, Bernie, change or innovation, as we might call it. We always had the, uh, in any group of farmers, we always had the early innovators and the early changes. And, uh, but we always had those who wait and see. Is that still the case? Or is everyone is. jumping on the new, new technology? No, Kerry, you've, got, you've, cap- you've just captured it exactly. And we've always had those people who adopted change and implemented new technology very quickly, etc. And I've seen it with the improved pastures, you know, like in the higher rainfall zone. Some producers just got these new grasses, got them in, put fertilizer on, you know, put legumes in, rotated cattle around paddocks, you know, a lot of that technology, just adopted it quick. And, and other people, they just seem to be that slow to buddy change. It, it is, and it, it has never changed, Kerry, I think. It's not as bad as it used to because um, even though the production cycle in beef in the beef game is a lot slower than, say, growing a, a grain crop or something like that, whereas if you stuff up a cotton crop, if you don't do the right thing, you can do a lot of dough in one season. Whereas in the beef industry, you know, the cow gives a calf, that's nine months, and then you might grow it out to two and a half, three-year-old. The production cycle's a lot longer, and I think that sort of, protect people from not having to change too bloody often. You know, like um, the pressure, the economic pressure is not as quick as in things like cropping. And I suspect that may be a reason why big family businesses often don't change over time that much. Bernie, in your specific area of North Queensland, it's a big cattle country, can be difficult from time to time. What's been the greatest success in terms of producer adoption? Well, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest, um, well, the most successful um, adoption technology is having a local beef to help people adopt, say, phosphorus feeding. A big issue we got in the north is overgrazing and land condition decline. We've got a project that's um, running around our patch up in the north here between the Mitchell and the Norman River called the Northern Gulf. We've been monitoring ca- uh, country there for over 25 years, and we can see um, a trend where we're getting thicker and thicker trees with, with a lack of fire. We're getting um, land, you know, the good grasses disappearing, and so land condition decline. Well, land condition drives all the profit, um, the big profit drivers of the business, which is branding rate, death rate, growth rate. That's all pasture. If you haven't got them, haven't got breakfast for them every morning, the cattle just don't perform. And that's the biggest issue we got up here, and and I just don't know, um, you know, it's not improving on a big scale. Like, there's plenty of producers running good shows, but there's too many people overgrazing their country, um, not wet season spelling, um, et cetera, et cetera, which ties in with handling our variable climate, Kerry, you know, with droughts and always a terrible word we, we always have, but we're in a terribly variable climate. And managing the land is being done fairly successfully through good and bad by plenty of producers, and we need to we need to get everyone on board doing that, the sort of things that the leading producers are doing. 
Sadly, there's too much uh, overgrazing just about everywhere. But you've been yep. always personally very keen on weeds and their impact on productivity. Uh, yep. Have, have we, ch- attitude to weeds changed at all? Yeah, no, I think like we've got terrible, some terrible situations with weeds, with the, you know all the prickly bushes and tiny apple in the in the downs country. We've got rubber vine and lantana and various other calotropes uh, up in the northern peninsula. There's there's just pestilence everywhere, you know. Pickle, there's, there's weeds over thousands and thousands of acres, and that's that's you know pure and simple overgrazing. And the country, you know, the, the three P or the productive palatable productive grasses are disappeared, and they're being replaced by weeds. And we've done nothing about it. We've just continued to graze the cattle on that land, and often it's the river frontages and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, where the fertility is. A lot of our northern soils are bloody fairly low in, in fertility and phosphorus. River frontages are often the best around, and they get hell flogged out of them. Yeah. And that's where the weeds start and expand, etc. And it is a big issue. Is the, well, it's part of the land condition. As soon as the good grasses get replaced by weeds, it, you know it's less productive. You can't run as many cattle uh, on a, on an area, etc. And it's just it's land condition decline, like I mentioned before. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. as, tell me about asbestos grass and how prevalent is that? Asbestos grass, barbed wire grass, whatever, yeah, there's it's, it's problems in every district with, you know, pestilence getting in, mission grass, um, all sorts of things that get in there, unpalatable. Some of them have been introduced. We've, we've got, um, I'm not too sure whether that one was introduced, you know, in the early days when a lot of species were brought into the country like prickle bush. But certainly we've got natives that are bloody dominating like the um, wire grass fa- family. They're everywhere now and they're dominating pastures because the cattle eat everything except them. And, of course, they seed every year and bloody prosper. But certainly we not just not one, you know, not just asbestos grass, Kerry. There's, there's all sorts of range of we, uh, grasses and broadleaf weeds that are expanding in our rangeland. And we need to sort of, you know, get on top of it. And, and you haven't got a lot of tools in the northern dry tropics. Um, and one of the few ones is wet season failure country to allow some of the good grasses that are still there to, to grow and seed before the cattle go back onto the paddock maybe after Easter. Tell me some good news. <laughs> Tell me some good yeah, news, well, please, well, Bernie. I understand you were an, an early convert to the advantages of Lakina. Is that still the case? True, true. Well, Lakina is a, is a legume for a start, so it is higher in protein and energy. It's got deep tap roots, etc., so it can access moisture in the right soils during the dry season. And if you plant and manage lachina in the right you know, soils and etc., you'll have positive weight gain on your cattle all season, which is a big plus for the northern dry tropics, where usually the cattle will gain weight over the wet, and then in the dry season they'll lose a bit of weight. And then the next year, away we go again. They gain you know 100, 120 kilos. And then they might lose 30 or 40 in the following dry season sort of thing. Lakina pastures, along with other legumes like Sec has been another outstanding success with Lakina, is that if we stock them right and, and, and get the fertility of the soil right, um, these are plants that enable us to have positive weight gain 12 months of the year and, and, and it improves your productivity and your profitability. It allows you to market cattle away from when the mob market their cattle you know, and get better bloody money per head. It, it, you can get your cattle into the feedlots with, a, you know, two teeth and less. 
at, at 400 kilos. It allows you to fatten cattle and get MSA bonuses, whether they're pasture fed or whatever, or they end up in a feedlot. It's got that many advantages having a, a legume like Lakina in your pasture system, but you've got to know what you're doing. It's a tricky, second an easier legume to grow when you're in the rangeland. Lakina is a bit trickier because it requires good management. It requires the right soil. Planting and establishment technology is a little bit tricky, Kerry, if you haven't got a bit of diesel in your vein. But uh, a lot of our northern producers are they got the spurs on and they're good at getting the cattle in, etc., etc. But getting into agriculture, you, you've got to be very particular when you're establishing Lakina. And, and, and plenty of northerners have done it, um, not so much north of the central highlands sort of country in, in from Rockhampton. That's where our big area of Lakina is. The Lakina is slowly expanding up in the north here. And I think one of the reasons is the, um, well, the, the producer's expertise with. Um, equipment and weed control and insect control and planting it bloody with specialist machinery, etc. Yeah, does that, does the industry, Bernie, do enough producer-inspired research? Uh, and by that I mean questions or problems which actually uh, first emerge in the paddocks. You've had good news with Lakina, bad news with weeds. Shouldn't there be more research based on what producers are telling you from their experiences on the ground? True, Kerry. That is a bit of an issue cost of production continues to rise and like the, the recent NABRIC conference up in Darwin there, there was no talk of profitability or cost of production, how we're going to keep increase the productivity of your business. It was all about carbon and carbon is an opportunity there for the industry but certainly the first rule in business is to stay in business and a lot of businesses are under pressure with the buddy cost rising and, and prices not keeping up. And, 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 and maybe our research should be in there trying to help the producers with the big picture stuff, which is what we got talked about, land condition. Land condition affects the branding rate, the death rate, the growth rate. And they're the three big profit drivers of any beef business anywhere, not just Northern Australia or North Queen, or Queensland. And we've got, we've got the system to do it, like we've got all these NABRIC committees that get together and all their sort of um, priorities get fed back down through the system, but then they've got to be funded. You know, there's only so much funding, and that's got to be allocated, hopefully, where it's going to make the biggest impact. And a lot of the noise at present is all about carbon neutral. Yeah. And that's, and that's what nearly, that was nearly all the talk up at Darwin was carbon neutral. But there was some great papers up there on using, you know, insect ear tags to keep the flies off them rotationally grazing a problem grass up there. I, I just read the results again yesterday of, of gamber grass. Timmy Schatz is doing some work up there where gamber grass has gone over a big area and it is a, a big problem with um, out of control, out, you know, ungrazed, it becomes a fire risk, etc. But if you put a lot of cattle on it and graze it fairly hard, it, it stops it from seeding. And on top of that, it gives you quite good animal productivity, you know. So there's, there's opportunities everywhere. But um, producers have got to be um, aware uh, what's available. How do you do it? There's got to be a who around who's going to give them a hand. And that's, that's one of the big jobs of a, of a beef extension officer, Kerry, is when you travel around the district, who's, who's doing a good job? What are they doing? You can sort of learn lessons on the, on, in around the district and pass it on to other producers. 
Bernie, one of my pet issues up in the north has always been the feral pig problem. Is that as big as it's ever been, or is it? Is there any is. sort of reduction? The, the feral pig issue, and it, it will really come to the fore if we get some of these diseases like you know, foot and mouth in the country. Heaven All geez. of a sudden, it'll be a hell of a bloody issue. But God forbid, certainly yeah. on the yeah, on the on the wet coast tableland where I live, pigs are a big issue because we've got a lot of sugar cane now, and pigs pigs get very big in sugar cane, Terry, but. Out in the west there, definitely a big issue in all the fertile country, like all that river country I was talking about. That is the fertile, good good alluvial type soils is high in phosphorus and the cattle do bloody hammer it a bit if you don't manage it. That's where all the pigs live as well. And, and they're digging up, they're digging it up like, you know, like a bulldozer everybody every day as well. So pig control is a terrible issue. You know, it's expensive to get them out. The, the local town hoons can only shoot so many, and you really, to get on top of them, you've got to be, have some sort of trapping and baiting program across a big area to, to make an impact on the numbers of them, but it, they are an issue for sure. Could we actually wipe them out? I mean, I don't think any government of either side has been serious about getting rid of pigs, but could we, mm. if we spent through enough money at it, could we virtually eliminate the problem of wild feral pigs? I, I couldn't answer that, Terry. I, I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm not a bloody pig expert. I've shot a fair few in my time, but I'm not a pig expert. We need to. We need to get an expert in that field. But you know, from us looking on from the outside looking in, it, it would be hard because every station that has an issue with them, it's just an ongoing program yeah. trying to keep the, the numbers at a minimal level to keep the impact down. And especially if you've got pasture development and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, the pigs love that too because you put a bit of fertiliser on. Pigs, pigs know you know where the best buddy uh, chewing is too. Yeah. Are you concerned, yeah. Bernie, about the long-term rundown by governments of any persuasion all over Australia of positions like yours, beef extension yep. officer? We're very lucky in Queensland where we've actually still got a good beefo population across the state. Like it's nothing like it was. We've still got a few research teams. Um, around the state as well, but certainly nothing like when I first started. Like, for instance, when I first started South Johnson, there was a dozen of us working in pastures and fertiliser and cattle on the wet coast around Innisfail, and now there's not one. And that's and that is what the decline's been. But, um, yeah, certainly we're lucky to have survived because a lot of the advisory services around all the states have all disappeared. Like, we've taken producers to, um, you know, Tasmania, Western Australia, etc. They just about got no beef advisory um, service left at all. At least Queensland, you know, which is the biggest beef state, um, at least we've still got some semblance of a um, advisory yes. business that can, yeah, try Bernie, and help the producers. Bernie, do you think we're heading for perhaps the American model of, of fee-for-service type of business? Definitely, it's certainly. Like Agri business has taken over a lot of the cropping and the sheep and the pigs and the chooks and the. Etc. Etc. The, uh, the agri business has taken over all that, and uh, and I can't. I can see uh, plenty of consultants out there too now that do a good job, but but you know, the producers got to be prepared to pay for it. But a lot of those family t- and, and the big end of town does get consultants in all the time, and they you know they do a good job with them. But the the mum and dad businesses, the small businesses, they they'll struggle to be paying a um you know, sort of it's not in their culture, is it? No. Like paying, you pay for a vet, but you don't pay for advice about yes. your passes or your what vaccinations you should be doing, etc., etc. Uh, how do you plant lacina? All that expertise. 
Yeah. What sort of supplement should I feed now? The, I've just been burnt out. What should I do? You know, that's, that's what we do. Bernie, I want to mention a recent award you received at the Northern Australian Beef Research Council. You received a very, very prestigious medal at the at the recent conference in Darwin. Tell us about that. Well, Kerry, I, I, I actually, NABRIC awarded me a communication and an extension award in 08 and, and then this Lifetime Achievement Award in 23. And, and, but Kerry, any award that comes from your peers, you know, your, or your the industry you work with is fairly valuable because it's sort of telling you or giving you a pat on the back and telling you, yeah, that you've done a good job. We appreciate what you've done, etc. And it's not some one in an ivory tower thousands of kilometres away giving you the award. It's the people you work with sort of saying that we need to give this fella a reward. So that, that makes it what it makes it special to me, Kerry, is that the the industry that you work with is, is sort of judged that, yeah, maybe uh, you've done a fair job over the last 50 years. We better give you something shiny. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you look at my career, Kerry, the, there's three things that have, that were very important in shaping how you know, maybe into a bit of a useful person is is that you know there's a great mentors in the DPI. When I started there, there's a lot of different mentors in nutrition, you know, pasture development, supplementation, all sorts of things. And then and then you have all the producers you learn tricks off. And, and and I've always found that very valuable, even even what not to do. You know, you learn all the good lessons, but you learn on other properties what not to do. And then the great team culture that we've had in the Northern Beef team, we've just had our long-time um, team leader, Joe Rolfe, pass away. But the team culture with Joe in charge is just fantastic in the North. And um, we've still got a great team since Joe's gone because that culture is still, still the same with the team, you know, and um, it's fantastic. And, and it just gives you a great it's, – it's, it's easy to excel because it's such a great team culture. Well said, Bernie. Now, I – just one final question. I have the power to make you Ag Minister for a day or two. What's one yeah. thing you would love to see happen in the in the Ag world? Well, if I was the boss for a buddy, if I was the boss for a week, I'd like to. I'd like to like um, that the late Joe Rolfe I just mentioned. He led our team in the West for many years, and he turned the drought funding around, and he sort of went to the the people upstairs and said. Why aren't we spending more money on drought, you know, getting people ready for drought rather than when the drought comes, we ding money out for freight and fodder and all sorts of things, which do a good job, etc. But Joe said, why aren't we doing, you know, giving producers money before the drought event? You know, we've always got drought events in Australia, Queensland, whatever. Let's get the producers up to speed and prepared for the dry times. Now, the eligibility, what, what you're allowed to do and get some funding for, that's what I'd like to be in charge of, that drought project, because there's a lot of things that would help um, producers and, and force a lot of other producers who aren't really managing their businesses buddy well for the highly variable climate that we're operating. And there's, there's things that I'd like to implement that would force people to make a change on the way they run their country so that they were more resilient when the dry times came. A lot of the things we've suggested that um, need to be eligible for drought funding to get him ready for a, a dry run of years is not eligible. And it's, it's the reason being people making the decisions on what's, what's in and what's out for funding, uh, they're too far away from the coalface. So if I was there for a boss for a week, I'd be in. I'd like to get into that drought area 
and make some really major changes to what was eligible and what's not and what producers should be doing in our you know, terribly bloody risky climate that we operate in. Bernie, you are still a little way off retirement, but Bernie English, you are and will remain a legend across the north. Congratulations on an outstanding <laughs> career and thank you so much for being on the but group no, for Beef Central. Thanks, Terry, for interviewing me, but I, I wouldn't say I was a legend. I'm a contributor. It's a, it's a, the beef industry is a large, buddy, lot of cogs and wheels, and you're, you're, part of that, you know, you're, you're a part of that system that keeps all the cogs and wheels turning. And it's not just one person. You know, it's a it's a big effort by a lot of people, and you're part of the part of that sort of business, Kerry. It's not all just one person. It's it's a, it's a lot of us, and 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 like we've got a great right across the state. You know, there's plenty of good beefos, and we consult one another all the time, like I was saying before. And um, they everyone's got to take credit when someone in our team gets a gong. Thank you, Bernie. You're a cracker. Thank you again. Thanks, Kerry. Now that's about it for On The Grill for the year 2023. We'll be back bigger and brighter early next year. In the meantime, you can catch up with any of the previous uh, 100 plus podcasts by going to the Beef Central website, clicking on the On The Grill button. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Thanks to our kind sponsors, Elders and Rhino Guard by Zoetis. We'll catch up again next year. Bye for now.